0: Tomorrow marks the first day of spring, and I think that is a great uh, thing to look forward to when it comes to a Monday. So if you're not a Monday fan, tomorrow you're going to be a Monday fan because it's the start of spring. And I am certainly fed up of winter, and I'm ready uh, for spring to come and for the weather to change and there to be more sunshine. The reason I'm extra excited that tomorrow also happens to be the first day of spring is because... um, I'm continuing in Ruth, as Donald said, And this tonight is chapter two. I've been looking at this four chapters in Ruth, if you don't know that. And for me, each chapter kind of symbolizes a season. So last time I was up here, I looked at winter in chapter one, and chapter two, the season that I feel uh, Naomi and Ruth and, and all these characters we are going to look at, find themselves, is spring. So this comes, uh, for me, I'm really excited that tomorrow's the start of spring, because I like, yes, that's exactly what my theme for uh, tonight is. But let me just give you a very quick uh, recap of what chapter one was, in case you weren't here last time, you've never read it, or you were here last time, and it's been so long you've forgotten uh, what uh, was talked about. So uh, in chapter 1, we discover that it's an account of distress, a display of vulnerability, and an act of devotion. And I focused heavily on Naomi and her journey. She went from leaving her hometown, going somewhere else because of a famine, so she was displaced, her her husband and her two sons. She lost her husband, then she lost both of her sons. She decided to return back to Bethlehem, where she's from. Uh, and one of her daughter-in-laws, she had two daughter-in-laws at the time. One of them refused to let her go and said, I am coming with you. And that someone was called Ruth. She devoted herself not only to Naomi, uh, but to Naomi's culture. She said, your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Uh, and that was definitely a season of winter for Naomi. Naomi. Uh, She didn't shy away from the fact that her bitter experiences had left her feeling downcast. She changed her name when she entered uh, Bethlehem. They said, oh, look, it's Naomi. And she was like, don't call me Naomi. My name is Mara. I am bitter. The Lord has dealt me, uh, uh, not a bad hand, but he's... um, brought me back empty. That's one thing. She said, I left full and I was brought back empty. She didn't shy away from being vulnerable. She showed honesty, openness, and transparency through her experiences. I looked at uh, how it was called hot, uh, honest, open, and transparent, and how we could be those three things. Uh, And so she's in this winter season, but something that was very exciting at the end of chapter one was that her and Ruth returned to Bethlehem uh, in spring. And we know it was called spring because it was a barley harvest had begun at the very end of chapter one. It says the barley harvest had begun, and that was springtime. So they enter into, uh, into spring, and spring symbolizes hope and new beginnings. And what we're going to discover in uh, chapter two is that Naomi's uh, season is going to be one of spring. It's not just going to be what's around her, but what she's going to experience is going to be a season of spring. And hope will begin to blossom out of her bitterness and where she finds herself. But before we do that, uh, we probably should read Ruth chapter 2. And the lovely Grace has offered to come and read. So if you'd like to come up for me. probably need to raise that. Now Naomi
1: had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain from behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz Boaz answered the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Buraz replied, "'I have been told all about what you have done "'for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, "'how you left your father and mother and your homeland "'and came to live with a people you did not know before. "'May the Lord repay you for what you have done. "'May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, "'the God of Israel, "'under whose wings you have come to take refuge. "'May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord,' she said. "'You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, "'though I do not have the standing of one of your servants.' At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. Then she sat down with the harvesters. He offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave the orders to his men Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from behind the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted it to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose pace she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. "'The Lord bless him,' Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. "'He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead,' she added. "'That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers.' "'Then Ruth, the Moabite, said, "'He even said to me, "'Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain.' "'Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, "'It would be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, "'because in someone else's field you may be harmed.' So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thank you very much.
0: There is so much uh, in this passage that I found it really hard to... Um, kind of decide where I wanted to go. My thoughts uh, were... There were many of them, and trying to find uh, clarity was a real challenge. But what stood out the most to me was uh, the way Boaz reflected God's character and the nature of who God is uh, and still is today in his interaction with Ruth. Uh, and I've summed up my thoughts, which I've put on like the PowerPoint that's all the way at the beginning. Aha, there we go. Three words that... I'm going to share my thoughts, and they are brown. These three words, and it is uh, generosity, gratitude, and hope. Now, I don't have PowerPoints with each of those on, and, and lots of little points that will come with them. Uh, so you're going to have to just, uh, as I talk, you'll you'll hear the different words being talked about. Um, and I I'd encourage you, if you are a note taker, to jot down whatever stands out, because that is my prayer tonight. That as I share my thoughts and my reflections with you, based around these three words, based. Very much on who Boaz is and how he reflects God's character to Ruth in particular, but others around him. Um, I'm, I hope that you'll something will spark from you uh, for you from that. Uh, so I'm just going to pray, and we're going to give it over to God and see what He speaks to you through. So let's pray, Father. I uh, we come ready to receive, give you the thoughts and reflections, and pray that you would use these words. Speak to each and every one of us in the room that we would know more of your character and your love for us. We come ready to receive. In Jesus' name. Amen. So both women um, are completely dependent on the generosity of strangers at this point. They, they have no husbands. Uh, there's no financial stability or security that comes with that in the culture. So they're very much reliant on how generous other people will be, uh, and, and it's vital for the, their survival. And Ruth puts her, her love for Naomi into practice. She gets proactive. They need food. So she says, I will go out and I will glean. I will go out and provide food for both of us um, from whatever leftover grain, basically, that I can find, and whoever will be generous enough to give it to me. And for the context uh, to help us, I think it's very important. Oh, I've got to go all the way back now. Give me a second, there we go. I think understanding what gleaning, and gleaning is is very uh, important because that's exactly what is going to do. So what does that mean? Uh, it involves heading back to a book called Leviticus. Uh, which is earlier on in the Bible, and the setting of the book of Leviticus is right after the Israelites have exited uh, Egypt and their slavery. Uh, God wants his presence to come and be in the midst of his people, but they 've rebelled and they 've broken that relationship, and it can 't happen so through uh, a number of laws, God is trying to graciously provide a way for his people to live in his presence and he says here are here 's the guidelines that you guys need to live in order for me to be able to live uh, among you and a very important uh, one of those laws which is around gleaning is Leviticus 19 it says when you reap the harvest of your land do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen leave them for the poor and the foreigner I am the Lord your God Gleaning would have been a back-breaking work and way to provide for yourself um, because you're you're just going around picking up whatever is left over from those that have been harvesting. It's a command that God required on his farmers and those who had land uh, that they're not to harvest every inch of what they have uh, and try and make the most that they can for their own benefit. They're either to leave uh, an edge of their land for others to come along and to benefit off of who are disadvantaged or after they've harvested they're not to go back and try and get every little scrap so essentially it's it's tithing of the land is what they're doing they're giving over some of what they have in order to bless others and this is the law that God has given them now that word law can mean something slightly different to us and some people get a bit like oh it's mandatory but actually law is mandatory and God wants to encourage his people to follow it but it's understood in the the context of a relationship with God that he provides these laws so God's character is concerned for the poor, the widow, the outcast, uh, the foreigner and in order to safeguard those people because his relationship with his people is one of love, in order to safeguard his people he puts these laws there, it's there to protect Because his character is all about caring for others. And as people obey God's commands, his laws, they, through their obedience, their relationship with God is deepened and enriched. Because it's not about just following it for the sake of it. God told me I must do this, therefore I have to go and do it. It's I am reflecting God's character in my behavior. So God's law is in the context of a relationship with his people. His people are reflecting his character in in obeying that law. So come back to our passage where now we have Ruth, who finds herself as an isolated widow in a foreign land. And although gleaning is mandatory and it's required of farmers, uh, it is possible for landowners to make life difficult. If they just followed the letter of the law, it doesn't say anything about make it easy for them. It just says make sure you leave this for them. And in chapter 2, it's very clear that Ruth was vulnerable and at risk of harm. The fact that when Grace was reading in verse 9, Boaz says, I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And at the very end, Naomi says, it's good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. We get a very clear sense that Ruth was taking a huge risk being a woman, and going out to try and provide for her and Naomi and being a foreigner. But being mistreated, excluded, or isolated because you're a foreigner isn't something that's bound just to this passage. We don't have to go very far in our own communities uh, to find that in our own context. Today uh, it's called, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this word, xenophobia. I heard of it coming from articles coming out of South Africa. There was a lot of this talk about xenophobia back in my homeland. And xenophobia is the dislike of or prejudice against people from other countries. Fear and hatred of strangers or foreigners or anything that is strange or foreign. That fear of the foreigner, fear of strangers. Anything that's different, I'm not for it. And I found this interesting. Further on in Leviticus, although it says, I want you to leave this land for the foreigners for that they can glean and anyone who's poor and disadvantaged, God also says to them, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The instruction to treat people who weren't Israelites as native-born would have shocked the people in Moses' day, that that is what God is asking them. But God makes it very clear, for me, he makes it very clear in that passage, if you want to live in my presence, you want me to live among you and to be called my people, I don't just want you to be nice to foreigners as they're living among you. I want you to treat those who are living among you as you would treat your own people who are like you. Extend that treatment to others. And we see that in uh, the New Testament. When Jesus is challenged on what's the greatest commandment, he says, love the Lord your God. But then he says, I want you to love each other as well. As you love yourself. Treat each other. So there's an instruction, which I think is shocking for the people in Moses' day, but I, I think that it's still a shocking thing for us sometimes to see, to treat them as yourselves. We just have to turn the news on to know that that is a challenge in today's world. So Ruth is vulnerable because she's a woman. She's vulnerable because she's a foreigner in a strange land. But as it turns out, she finds herself gleaning in a field that belongs to Boaz, And later on it goes, just then, while she's working in that field, Boaz arrives. A little hint for us to pay attention that what you'll find later on in the chapters is that what this seems like a very random interaction is actually going to become a wonderful example of how God redeems the darkest of times through people. As it happens, or as it turns out, she is in Boaz's field. And just then he arrives. So Boaz and his character, there's a lot that I learned about him in this chapter. He's described at the start as a man of standing, and he's also made, there's a reference that's made that he's linked to Naomi's late husband. So what we find is that he's a man of influence, wealth, and he's going to play a very significant part in both Ruth and Naomi's lives. The way he greets... Uh, his workers he says to them uh, the lord bless you and they return the lord bless you or he says the lord be with you and they return with the lord bless you Uh, it comes across as having a really personal relationship with his workers and for me it seems like a lot of respect coming back from the workers as to how they view him so he's respected by his workers And when he finds out about the new girl that's working in the field, Ruth the Moabite, and her her devotion to Naomi is something that clearly goes with her. Everyone knows who she is and what she's done and where she's come from. His response to her is where we really see him being generous in his character. He recognizes her vulnerability. She's a woman and she's in a foreign land. And so the first thing that he does is he offers her a place to work, to stay here in my field. And I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. He's provided her protection. How comforting must that have been for Ruth? She's now guaranteed a place to come and find food for her and Naomi, and she can do it in the comfort of safety. Boaz welcomes Ruth as a member of God's family. He treats her with dignity and gives her value, again, going against what, or beyond what's expected of him. He invites her to work among the locals that she can benefit in the resources that they have. They're going to pour uh, jars of water. You can drink from them as if you're one of our own. You get the benefits of one of our own as well. His generosity puts Ruth at ease, and we can see it because she's astonished. She says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? He goes on to include her at mealtime, invites her over, come and eat with us. And he's so hospitable in that, and generous in that hospitality, I should say, that Ruth not only has enough food to eat for herself, but she has leftovers that she's going to take back to Naomi. Naomi gets blessed through just how much Boaz has given to Ruth. And if that wasn't enough, so not only has he treated her like one of their own. He has, he's, he's clearly read further on in Leviticus 19, not just the bit about leave your land, but treat them as your... Own. He's done that. He's been very hospitable. But he goes even further, and he turns to his workers and he says to them, now, I want you to let her glean among you. Not just once you've done. I want her to be able to pick up while you're harvesting at the same time. And while you're at it, take some of the stalks out of the bundle and then just drop them on the ground so she's got extra to pick up. Ruth gathers, it's called an, an ephah, which... In my research, I think the general consensus was about 22 liters is what I could find because like that means nothing to me. But apparently it's about 22 liters. But she gathers way more than she would have done if Boaz had just followed the law. God says, I leave this bit of my land. That's what I've done. He went way beyond that and she collected way more than she ever would on her own. I still don't know how she carried 22 liters home, but that's... That's an aside question that I've had rolling around in my head for the last week. And then he prays a blessing over her. And he says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What he doesn't realize is he, in fact, will be the answer to that prayer. That he's just prayed. And that God is going to care for Ruth and Naomi through Ruth in the outworking of Boaz and who he is. And that's something for all of us. A really great point to just hang on to for a second. Just let this sit. God's gracious provision for us often comes through the generosity of others. God loves to provide for his people. He loves to care for the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the outcast, those who are down and low. But he does it so much so through his people. He didn't just say, I'm going to do this, this, and that. Like, his law was, I want you to be the one that goes out and shows my character. God provides for those around us through others. Through you. You will be the way God provides for someone if you're not already As Boaz shows generosity way beyond what anyone could imagine, he's displaying a picture of God's grace, a gift of a treasure, a great, incredible treasure that is given to the least deserving. We sung about grace in the last song. And the gift of grace that we get is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that gift is a gift of life because of who Jesus is. We get invited into a personal relationship. That gift for us is a personal relationship with God. The gift that is given is come and know me and come and experience my presence. Really tangibly experience it. Who I am and my character. All we have to do is receive it. Just as Ruth, although she says, who am I that you would be so generous with me? that you would be kind and go beyond. She does accept generosity that he offers. And I think accepting generosity is as important at times as giving it. I saw this quote in a book that I was reading this week, and it says, A living faith is seen sometimes in giving, sometimes in a willingness to gratefully receive. Living faith can sometimes be where we give out and we are called to be generous. And sometimes that living faith is to accept the generosity of others. Because although I could stand here and say, right, God wants us all to be generous, and I think Boaz's character hugely shows that generosity is important because it's reflecting who God is. If no one receives that generosity, it's very hard for us to be generous. So actually we play a part in accepting generosity. But I think sometimes that's the harder part, to accept the generosity than it is to give it but it is important. She humbly accepts his generosity, and in doing so, like I've said before, Naomi is blessed through it. She returns, Ruth returns to Naomi with an amount that is beyond what was expected, and Naomi is shocked and surprised uh, uh, and grateful for the generous benefactor and says, uh, the Lord, where is it? The Lord bless him. But she's also curious, who is this person that has been so kind to you, that's given you more than what you could have possibly collected on your own? And it's when she hears Boaz's name that those winter clouds that she was in in chapter one begin to break. Suddenly, there's a dawning, because she knows who Boaz is. She knows the link to her family, and she calls him a guardian redeemer. Boaz is able to, and will discover, he will bring an end to the hardship that Naomi and Ruth currently face. And knowing this, knowing that this guardian redeemer has shown that much generosity to Ruth, who is also a foreigner in the land, so he's gone beyond just what's expected of him and probably against what culturally was done, she starts to see hope on the horizon. And she's noticing that actually God hasn't forgotten me. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. Which that response in verse 20, at the end of chapter 2, this hope on the horizon, spring is coming, is stark contrast to chapter 1, where she said, after being in the lowest that she could possibly have felt, feeling completely destitute and not seeing any way out. She resolves that God is the one who has made her life bitter, taken away the fullness that she left her land with, and he's the one that's afflicted misfortune on it, which that also happens to be part of, verse 20 and into 21. Yet chapter 2, verse 20, she's saying, the Lord bless, Boaz when a chapter ago she was saying the Lord is the reason for my suffering she's not afraid to be grateful I think recognizing that hope helps her to be grateful also for the change in her circumstance and a I think she's called a psycho, psychoanalyst anyway does psychology stuff. Uh, This quote, there's a close link between gratitude and generosity, which I thought was very interesting. And actually, when, when we consistently take notice of the things that we're grateful for, we become aware, start noticing, as Naomi is finally doing in this chapter, of what we're thankful for and grateful for, we begin to develop an attitude of gratitude. And from that, generosity, it flows so much more naturally. It's made me think about spring. It brings new life, and there's lots of color. There's hope. But as with Naomi, where are we looking for hope was the question that really struck me. Naomi viewed her experiences in Chapter 1 as a set of these random loose threads that have gotten a bit tangled. But but what she didn't realize is she was looking at a tapestry that God is working on. She just happened to be at the back of it. Her bitter experiences, everything that she's gone through, she's currently looking at her life at the end of chapter one and it's a mess. It's just these tangled threads. I can't see anything else or how they'd be untangled. She starts to look to God for her hope now, and in what's to come, she begins to see that it's not just some tangled threads, that actually she's just standing at the back of God's masterpiece. And as the chapters continue in three and four, you will watch her move round to the front and see the full big picture. And what she's going to see is a tapestry of hope and grace. And we're getting a glimmer of that now. I should you get excited about the fact that Boaz is the guardian redeemer. The most powerful and challenging thing that I discovered as I was reading through this and preparing for tonight was about how I live out my faith and the motivation behind it. I think If someone had to say, uh, ask me what I believe I'm not, it's pretty easy for me to sort of throw the Christian card in there because it's usually like, what do you do for work? So I'll go, I'm a youth worker for a church. Then no, naturally. If they ask me, well, why do you live a certain way? I'll say it's because I follow God. I believe in Jesus. He calls me to live this way. But I was really challenged this week in that I think a lot of the time I say, I, I do it because I'm told to. I say I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus so I know I'm supposed to live this way because that's what comes with when you say you believe in Jesus and you follow him. When actually watching Boaz just reflect God's character to Ruth and Naomi and that the law is intended to show who God is not just that you blindly follow it for the sake of it. And look at actually the pattern of my life is meant to reflect God's character that's why I live the way I do it's not about just following some rules in a book, it's about reflecting who God is we love because he first loved us nothing that we do is just for the sake of it, all comes out of who God is And I wonder if anyone in this room is potentially in that same place where you say you, you live this way, you do that thing because God tells you to. Actually, we're to do it because it's his character. If we love him, we want to show the world that he cares for people, that the outcast, the widow, the poor, the disadvantaged, he cares about those, therefore, as he said in Leviticus 19, I don't just want you to Let them dwell among you, I want them to treat you as one of your own. If I care for this and you're choosing to follow me, you're going to have to care for that too, because you're choosing to reflect who I am. So I'm coming to land, and I don't know how long I've been talking for, I don't know if it's been a short one or a long, but uh, I had the question of what is modern day gleaning for us? Like, how do we go beyond what is required? And then, how do we reflect God's character? How do we show His care and concern for those that He calls us to? I thought there was more to that. Never mind, I must have deleted the slide. So, these are the points that should have been there, but are not. And then I'll expand on them as we go through. So, welcome and include others is the first one, hospitality, money, time resources, and skills, and notice. So this is our version of what does it mean to, for others to be able to glean? What, what are we fencing off or not harvesting completely of? So the first one's about welcoming and including others. Boas was incredibly welcoming and inclusive of Ruth, the newcomer, the one who was different. That might be someone from another country. Ruth was from another land, not necessarily like a country the way we understand it, but another land. It might be someone of a different religious belief. We've just had Donald give us a notice about praying for those taking part in um, Ramadan. Is that right? Yes, I was listening. Uh, How are we showing care for those? Someone maybe we haven't spoken to in a while. By welcoming and including Ruth, Boaz gave her dignity and value. When we welcome and include others, we give them dignity and value. What about hospitality? How do we go beyond what's just expected of us in hospitality? Not only just about maybe being friendly and welcoming, I think that's important, and including people, but what about inviting them into your life? Let's not Um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is Uh, there's real power in inviting someone over for a meal or out for a coffee I don't think we should underestimate that when we do that by including Ruth in with that meal Boaz again was giving her that dignity and value because he's saying come and join in with my people So who could that be where we're I want to reflect God's character of love and care for others this week? So who might be someone that you could meet up with or invite around? So much of Jesus' ministry was done around food, and if that is not encouragement, then I don't know what is. What about money? A question, how... Does how we use our financial resources reflect God's character of generosity towards others? It's a good question for all of us to ask ourselves constantly. How is the way I use what I have reflecting that God cares for those around me? Time never seems like there's much of it these days. And how generous are we in our time to serving others? God's grace, his gift that he gives us, requires us to care for others. And actually that does involve a timed hard work and sacrifice where we've got to put in the time to show the care towards other people. What about our resources and our skills? Everyone in this room, whether you believe it or not, I certainly do believe it, has a different skill set and you've got different resources that God's given you. You've got skills that I certainly can't do and I've got skills that you can't do. But together, how can we be generous with those skills towards one another and beyond? How do we reflect God's character and his care for those around us through the skills that he's given us? How do we be generous with it? And then notice, taking notice of those around us. Boaz took notice. Who is that girl in the field that's working? Who's the new person? He took notice. But maybe actually taking notice is, who's that person I haven't seen in a while that I do know? That text I've been meaning to send or that friend I've been meaning to reach out to? Or what about taking notice of what we're grateful for? Maybe it's about actively choosing to recognize what God has given us. Actively choosing to recognize that God is our hope. Again, as we've sung tonight, in a world that often can feel very hopeless, I'm going to choose to notice God is my hope. So where can you reflect God's character in this spring season? Where can you go beyond just what's required of you? What of those things that I listed hit you the most? Was it about welcoming and including others? Did you get this like, oh, when I read it out? Was it about hospitality? Actually, you know, what? that thing did pop in my head about inviting people around. Was it around money and how you use your financial resources? What about time? Were you challenged? Of actually, can I be more generous with my time? Your resource or your skills? Or was it about taking notice? I'm going to end by reading a quote from uh, someone called Augustine, if you've heard of him. He uh, wrote some books on confession, and it sums up uh, my thoughts. But as I do that, if the band would like to come up. Uh, so maybe just take a moment. Close your eyes, like I love telling everybody. You don't have to. This isn't the youth group, but I usually find it easier to concentrate when I close my eyes, which is why I always tell everyone else to do it. Uh, and Just sit for a second. God, where do you want me to reflect who you are in my workplace, with my friends, with my family? Where am I maybe just doing the the minimum and leaving just that little space? Where can I be more generous? Actually, I'm being really generous. How can I do that even more? O Lord, our God, let the shelter of your wings give us hope. Protect us and uphold us. You will be the support that upholds us from childhood to the hair on our heads is gray. When you are our strength, we are strong. But when our strength is our own, we are weak. In you, our good abides forever. And when we turn away from it, we turn to evil. Let us come home at last to you, O Lord. For fear that we be lost. For in you our good abides and it has no blemish, since it is yourself. Nor do we fear that there is no home to which we can return. We fell from it, but our home is your eternity and it does not fall because we are away. Amen.